Welcome to the Regular Report Podcast. This is Big Cynical Ben, who's your host today and every day. It's an off day, so in the next segment we're going to have a Wrigley Report Roundtable. We've got Ryan Tadich going to show up and give us some insight on the bullpen, Jason Hayward, Arietta vs. Darvish, all the good stuff. You can find us online at medium.com slash the-wrigley-rapport. You find Wrigley Report on Twitter at Wrigley Report, R-A-P-P-O-R-T. You can also find Wrigley Report Podcast on Twitter at Wrigley Podcast. And you can find me on Twitter, Big Cynical Ben, at Big Ben KC. Get into some politics, get into some culture, retweet a lot of stuff. Unless I have something really important to say, I gotta use gotta use my low voice. So Cubs pull a sweep for the weekend over the Mets. Got an off day today to bask in the glow of our Cubbies being back 10 games over 500. Last year took them till August to get 10 games over 500 when they started making their run. Everybody needs to remember two things. One, small ball wins championships. We scored two runs off of the Mets. And one of them was Javi Baez stealing home on a pickoff move. And it was glorious. We are winning games by not hitting home runs. Now, Javi buys his home run in the 14th inning marathon. Notwithstanding, we were still up because of small ball before he came up to the plate and left no doubt with that coffin nail. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. But no, I'd like to turn our attention toward my favorite gold glover on the Cubs. The guy who I dropped from my fantasy team only before picking him back up. Mr. Jason Hayward. The, according to Chicago media, overpaid, overhyped right fielder. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Joe Madden is the most patient coach in the majors. He takes his time with players. He makes sure to instill confidence in players. And he takes stress out of the lives of the players. Jason Hayward had to revamp his entire swing. Over the offseason last year, he got going a little bit before he cooled off. This year, he started heating up again. So we've seen it a couple times. I remember back in my playing days when I was playing amateur baseball, I had to revamp my swing because my wrist kept hurting. I was swinging at pitches. I could hit anything even close to the strike zone. It was singles and uh, I, I want to say doubles, but I didn't have very many doubles because I'm not a I'm not a small man. But then my wrist started hurting, and it was it was very painful to swing that bat. And I I went to a hitting the hitting coach, and the hitting coach looked at me. He said, "No, you're holding your wrist wrong. You push your wrist together, so your your bat turns over faster." I'm like, "Awesome! This feels great." So I went out to the batting cages, and I couldn't hit a thing. I could not hit a broadside of a barn with the bat because it was getting around too quickly. I lost where I knew the zone was and where I knew the bat head was because I was turning my wrists over faster. Long story short, it took me over a year to get my swing back to start hitting home runs again. Wood bat, amateur league, over a year. And I went to the batting cages two, three times a week, a lot of practice, a lot of exercises. Still, rebuilding a swing... No matter who it is, no matter what level you play on, rebuilding a swing takes time. And rebuilding a swing takes patience. And patience instills confidence. 
in players to get hits in clutch situations, and that is finally starting to pay off with Jason Hayward, where he is getting hits in clutch situations. This is why I'm not a purely statistics guy. Purely statistics guys will look at Jason Hayward and say he is a useless bum who is not worth his salt. He is getting paid way too much money for way too little output offensively. And I would say to them, you are correct. Absolutely correct. But the more valuable aspect of Jason Hayward's play is in his defense. Period. End of story. He is the only gold glover the Cubs had last season. He is the only gold glover that the Cubs have for the foreseeable future. Javi Baez might if he quits making the errors. Addison Russell's got a good case if he can get out of his own way. But the our right fielder is a gold glover, and that is for certain. Do you sacrifice his defense to put somebody else in right field? I don't know that you can make a case to me or to any coach in the major leagues to sacrifice defense that good for lack of offensive output. And yes, it is frustrating. Yes, we see him come up in the past in pressure situations and he fails miserably but that is not going to last because the swing is coming around chili davis is helping the swing come around and joe madden in his wondrous wisdom as the grand master of patience and confidence he is slowly taking the stress off the shoulders of jason hayward in a cubs uniform and it is glorious to watch. Now, is he going to be a 25 or 30 home run hitter? I don't know. Right now, it doesn't look great. But the Royals uh, in Kansas City, the only Major League Baseball team never ever 40 home run hitter. And Mike Boustakis just broke the record at 38 last season. So, they still managed to win a World Series in 2015. You can win a World Series without home run hitters. You cannot win a World Series without defense. Those are the facts. That's why the errors are killing me. And they're killing the Cubs. And if you want to get your pitching stabilized, if you want to get your uh, offense stabilized, you improve your defense. So that instead of having to win a game 7-6, to six, you can win a game 3-1 to one and walk away. Because the the better our defense is makes good pitching look great. And if our defense is great, it makes great pitching look elite. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see our starters look elite. Because there's no reason why we should be behind the Brewers right now. None. The only thing that's standing in our way is ourselves. Right now we're keeping losing teams losing like the Mets. Like the feckless Giants. Keep them losing. Then we have to step up to good playoff teams and we have to start beating them too because everybody wins 60 and everybody loses 60 it's the 40 in between that determines whether or not you're a playoff contender or you're looking to rebuild and the Cubs are a contender and they got to show me if you haven't heard the Wrigley Rapport has a sponsor it is Wrigleyville Sports Wrigleyville Sports right across the street from Wrigley Field. Purveyor of the finest sports memorabilia, jerseys, shirts, hats, socks, everything you could possibly want as a Cubs fan. And they have Blackhawks stuff, and they have Bears stuff, and they have stuff from other baseball teams, like the White Sox. They have sports memorabilia and clothing from across the spectrum. So, Visit them online at WrigleyvilleSports.com. Make sure to enter the promo code PARENTS2018. 
you get 10% off an order less than 100 bucks. Or if you spend over 100 bucks, you get 15% off and they'll throw in the free shipping. So go ahead and visit our friends at WrigleyvilleSports.com. You can read any of our articles. Just click on the link at the bottom. We get a fall small service fee for your troubles. Just hopefully we can start getting this whole Wrigley Report thing moving. Visit WrigleyvilleSports.com. Welcome to the Wrigley Report podcast. This is the Wrigley Roundtable. You can find us online at the Wrigley Report, uh, medium.com slash the dash Wrigley dash report. You can find us on Twitter at Wrigley Podcast. Today I have the esteemed pleasure of welcoming Mr. Ryan Tadich into the roundtable. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. How are you? I'd be doing great if we could figure out how to get this app to work a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seems like we always have problems with all the apps that we use. Well, so far, so good. Um, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Twitter at Ryan Tadich. So if you just search my name, R-Y-A-N-T-A-D-Y-C-H, uh, you'll find me. And he is also an astute writer at medium.com slash the Wrigley Report. Should have looked him up there. Let's uh, let's start at the top. You wanted to go over Arietta versus Darvish. Hindsight. We're looking a uh, third of the way into the 2018 season. How are we looking so far for that uh, free agent signing? Uh, early on, it doesn't uh, it doesn't look promising for the Cubs. I mean, it's been pretty well documented. Obviously, we all know Darvish's struggles early on. He's on the DL for the second time already. And, you know, Arietta has been, you know, pitching really, really well for the, uh, for the Phillies. Um, so early on in the early going, you know, it looks like, hey, we probably should have kept Jake. But, you know, a lot of these, uh, when you make these signings, it's not all about, you know, the first couple of months of it. It's, a lot, it's about long term. And I still feel that long term, the Cubs are probably better off with Darvish than they are with, um, with Jake. See, I was a Jake guy before the trade, and I find it very difficult seeing his success, knowing that he's on the downside. I mean, that's a given. He is, but he's only a year older than Darvish, and he, we already saw some regression last year. But I'm wondering if that was from frustration with the defense and that uh, that championship hangover the Cubs had, and him losing his ability to bear down and focus because of. Uh, what's the word, of uh, fatigue. I mean, he's not getting any younger, but it sure looks like nails now compared to Darvish, who seems to always be a question mark. Yeah, I mean, Darvish has been a huge question mark, and you make up a good, you bring up a good point about the defense. Um, I just saw something today, actually, about uh, Jake criticizing um, the defense on the Phillies. Um, I guess yesterday he pitched, and, um, he gave up, like, five runs, um, I believe, in, like, five innings or something like that. One, one of his, um, you know, um, not-so-good starts uh, for the Phillies, and he said, made some comments after the game where he was, uh, you know, kind of, like, criticizing their defense and, 
and things like that. So, you know, obviously that kind of puts a little wrinkle into things because you don't want that to be an issue going forward if he's going to start, you know, throwing his team under the bus, which is very unlike Jake to do because he didn't do that in Chicago. Um, But it's still very, very hard to judge a signing um, just based off the first couple of months. And I, you know, I am with you in the sense that I was for all for going for Jake over Darvish um, over the off season. But I agree that the Cubs should have not given Jake like the same contract that they got Darvish. Although I would have been happy had they given him like the six years and the 120 that they gave uh, Darvish. If they would have gave that to Jake, but I don't think he should have gotten much more than that. Um, which is what he was asking for, and uh, clearly he didn't get. Now, the the job of Theo is to try to open the window as long as possible, which is, I think, why the the years and the money for you, Darvish, made sense. At his high, at his peak, he is the most he is the most elite pitcher in the National League, at least. If he locks down, achieves his capabilities, stays off the DL. He was lights out with the Dodgers last year, and I think we could all expect – we all expected that kind of performance when he came to the Cubs. It, it feels like just a letdown at this point somewhat, although I think in the long term, looking at how the contract has been structured and his potential as a player and the Joe Madden's ability to help fix guys who have problems dealing with massive amounts of pressure, that it could feasibly be the right move in the long term. It's yeah, kind of I completely. Go ahead. No, I completely agree. Um, you know, we saw John Lester struggle in his in his first year with the Cubs. Um, you know, they compare his statistics were actually very similar to what you Darvish was in his first like five or six starts. Um, so we've seen that, and we've seen that with a lot of pitchers when they sign big deals. I think, yeah, I think a lot of it could be mental too. You know, there's a lot of pressure um, on you coming in here. There was a lot of mixed reaction from the fan base. Um, after the signing, some loved the signing, some didn't. Um, so, you know, that pressure's on him a little bit more in a new environment, and I think that could have got to him a little bit. Um, but I think the biggest thing with him is staying healthy. If he stays healthy, he's going to be fine. Uh, we saw him start to pitch a little bit better before he went back on the DL. He had two good starts in a row, um, and we started to see those flashes of brilliance that we know um, he's capable of. I think the biggest thing is keeping him healthy. Um, and that obviously you can you can never know how that's going to shake out, but you know that the Cubs are going to do what they can to not overwork him and things like that, so he stays healthy. Well, Joe's been babying the starting pitching with the pitch count because he knows this this team's built off of elite starting pitching, and I think that could be a good thing going into the history of injury with the U Darvish. But I I wrote an article. Uh, about the history of you, Darvish, and how me looking at it, it's got to be mostly mental uh, with his, the, the stress and the pressure. When there's no pressure, he performs. When there is pressure, he tends to tends to buckle under it. I got a lot of flack on Twitter, a lot of guys talking about the two Tommy Johns and how about the mechanics, and I'm wondering your take. Do you think it's more mental or do you think it's more physical, the problems that you, Darvish, have been running into, especially in a Cubs uniform? I think it's a lot more mental right now. Um, we obviously know that he was tipping some pitches during the, the World Series last year because they came out and said that, and maybe there's a little bit of element of that going on early on this season. I don't know. But um, I read something the other day that um, he said something or he thinks that a lot of fans hate him or something like that. 
Um, and I think that to me indicates that a lot of it's just mental. Um, you know, he's doing what he can. He wants to obviously be successful. He wants to impress the fans and, and, you know, pitch well. And I think that, that, uh, that's getting to him a little bit. Um, so if he just clears his head, maybe this, you know, being on the DL, recovering from the, the tendonitis and kind of clearing his head a little bit, um, I think will help him. Well, the Chicago media is not doing him any favors. And if he reads the newspapers, which I highly advise against at any level of professional sports in the city of Chicago, it's probably going to get to him. You want people to like you, but it's tumultuous being in a Cubs uniform and not uh, performing at the level because the expectations are so high, so high. NLCS, three years in a row, people can people already talk about we've reached the – the apex of the parabola and what's all downhill from here, blah, 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 blah. But is it tough to, to give people realistic expectations? We're t- 10 games over. We're playing better in an era where the only success for a Cubs fan comes from another World Series championship. And how do you temper those expectations? How do you give people perspective? That That's, that's the hard thing. It's a different era of Cubs baseball now because, like you said, expectations are through the roof. I mean, you expect that they're going to go out and be a World Series caliber team every single year, um, and they totally have the capabilities to do that. But, you know, obviously it's a lot of it's the media and a lot of it's the fans, too. You, you know, they got off to a slow start last year. They got off to a slow start this year. Now they're playing better. But as I've told some people when I've talked to people, I was like, you can't expect this team to come out and have a 22-6 and six April every single year. It's just not going to happen. They're going to get to the playoffs. They're likely going to win another World Series um, very soon, but that doesn't mean they're just going to, they're going to do it the way they did in 2016 where they just flat-out dominate the entire season. It's very, very hard to do that um, all year long because guys are going to go through slumps, guys are going to struggle. And they had amazing starting pitching that year, which is something that they've been lacking early in the season this year is just that starting pitching hasn't been there not to the level that we expect it to be at. And you're right, the media, you know, the media in Chicago is always tough. They're going to criticize every little move, every little thing that you do. Um, so they, not, they don't help that matters in terms of that mentality and all that stuff. We also had a really good bullpen in 2016. It was just lights out. Um, you, uh, the bullpen seems to be coming around. Justin Wilson coming out of nowhere the other night. And the new guys, Farrell, Rosario, Hancock, they're just – they're 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 put them up and setting them down. What do you think could be the biggest factor for the improvement of a Cubs bullpen that looked like it was struggling for the first two months of the season? Um, well, I think you know they went out there, they made some signings. Um, you know, you know, you kind of know what you have, and you know, you know what Strope's going to get you. You know, people complain about him sometimes too, but. He's the first Cub ever to have five consecutive seasons out of the bullpen with an ERA of below three. So you know what you're getting out of him. Morrow has been absolutely fantastic. And he was a little bit of a question mark coming in with his injury history um, and only really one really strong, successful season. But he's been almost better than Wade Davis, you can say. Oh, um, come on. I, I mean, I loved Wade Davis, and I thought they should have brought him back. But when you look at Morrow, he doesn't fuss around. Like, he just comes in, throws 100 miles per hour by you, and, and, the, and the game's over. Oh, like, come on. you got to walk uh, the bases loaded to make it interesting. Otherwise, you're losing TV revenue. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think we want that. That's what Justin Wilson does. But, um, yeah, Justin's come around a lot. Um, hopefully he continues that. We've seen that where he, like, has a week or two where he's really good, and then he goes back to having, like, two or three outings where he walks. The base is loaded again. Um, if he pitches the way he did in the game, in that extra inning game the other day, that's the Justin Wilson we want. And, of course, yeah, I mean, the Cubs, uh, you know, Theo and all that talk about the depth in the farm system. And so far it's, it's done wonders for the Cubs because, you know, they plucked uh, uh, Farrell, I think, was a guy that they claimed off of waivers. And Hancock they got in the uh, Matt Caesar trade last year. And Rosario was a waiver claim. And those guys have been nothing but spectacular so far. I mean, we saw what, you know, Farrell did in that extra inning game the other day. Rosario hasn't given up a run yet since he got called up. Um, I know Hancock's back in the minors, but he looked good when he was here. Um, that's what you need because you know there's going to be guys that are going to struggle at times or get hurt, like Edwards is on the DL now. So you need those young guys to kind of step into that role um, and kind of bolster that bullpen a little bit. And uh, I think that, that's been the real contribution as to why that bullpen's done so well is that just those young guys that you don't know what to expect from have been good as well. Well, Farrell, Rosario, Hancock. These guys come in and they pitch bullets. They're pitching BBs to these major league hitters. And you got to wonder, is it the lack of uh, preparation by the offense of the opposing team? Now, new pitchers come in. The guys don't really look at the scattering report. There's not much of a scattering report. Uh, There's an unknown with rookie pitchers and and, uh, veterans think they can just step up to the plate and take them yard. Do you think there is any sustainability to the success we have seen in this young bullpen, or do you think that the offense of the opposing teams is going to come around? Um, I think they could definitely sustain that success. Um, eventually, the more and more they keep pitching, you would expect that, yeah, like the, the scouting reports will get uh, better on each of those pitchers, and the hitters are going to come around a little bit. With any rookie pitcher, you're going to see a share of ups and downs. You know, before uh, Farrell came back up, we saw him have those, you know, two really bad outings in St. Louis. Um, so you know that there's going to be that share of ups and downs, but then that's where it's on the pitcher to make that adjustment. Um, once the hitters finally, you know, get comfortable with that pitcher, now the pitcher has to go out there and make an adjustment and say, all right, now i got to change my game plan because this pitch, this, you know, this hitter knows what I'm going to do. Um, and that's sometimes hard for young guys to do. Um, so, you know, that's what we'll see happens over the course of the season. You know, once Edwards comes back, one of those guys, you know, um, goes back to the minors, obviously, and we don't know what's the story. And, you know, once Darvish comes back, that means Montgomery's back in the pen. So, you know, you're really only down to one one of those rookie pitchers in there. Um, but so the other guys can continue to work in the minors. Um, and, you know, it could just be one of those, you know, like, now oh, they're having a flash of brilliance now and that, you know, it, that could be the it. They can never pitch well again, but you have to like what they've given you so far. Speaking of adjustments, uh, Jason Hayward went off this last week. He was hitting the ball everywhere, left, right, center, uh, getting RBIs, getting on base. Has uh, has he turned a corner after so many people, especially on Cubs Twitter, were calling for his DFA or at least sending down to the minors after his sluggish start to the season? Do you think he's finally passed uh, – uh, turned a corner, gotten his swing right, started seeing the ball better. Or you think, you think this is just a flash in the pan? It's hard to say because um, we've seen Hayward do this before, um, where he has a really good you know week or two. I think at the start of the season he got off to a really good start too, 
and you're like, okay, here he's back again, and then he kind of went quiet for a while, and now he's doing really, really well again. Um, so it's hard to say. I don't think we can say that he's back, um, or um, we have to – it needs to be a bigger sample size. Um, if he continues to hit at this pace, or at least at an improved pace over the course of the, you know, next month or, you know, through the all-star break and stuff, then you could say, all right, maybe he's finally coming around. The one thing we're still missing from him is that power. He's only hit two home runs so far. Um, and, you know, we don't necessarily need him to be a guy that's going to, you know, hit 20, 25 homers. But I think the Cubs would like to see just a little more power out of him. Um, but at this point, he's getting on base. Um, he's driving in runs. I know early in the season he was at the tops on the team and uh, uh, with runners in scoring position, which is something that the Cubs have obviously been lacking um, all season long. But it's a little different scenario um, because it's such a small sample size. It's not like Rizzo where you look at Rizzo and you say, okay, he's back. You know, he's been hitting the ball well for over a month now. He's drawing walks like he normally is. He's rarely striking out anymore. Like now you know that Rizzo's back to being the Rizzo that we know he is. Um, I think it's going to take a little more time from Hayward, but it's definitely uh, something to be excited about because you know it's there. Clearly he can have that success. It's just sustaining that success over the course of an entire season and not just for like a two-week period. So I I have strong feelings about trying to force offense and and sacrificing defense to do it, getting rents of players for offense. Defense – the elite defense that we get from players like Jason Hayward, players like Addison Russell on the field, Albert Almora, the elite defense they give you and be able to steal out steering a game, if they are having poor offensive performance, is the trade-off worth it for the elite defense or not? It becomes – that, that's been the hottest debate. And I think the, I think the biggest debate surrounding the Hayward – um, is more so the money that he's getting. Um, if he wasn't, you know, getting paid the 20 plus million per year, um, I think you could swallow that uh, elite gold glove defense for a little bit lack of hitting. Um, but I think the biggest gripe that people have with Hayward is that he's just getting paid so much money and he's not performing at the plate. Um, but if you actually look at it, I did an article on Wrigley Report um, a couple weeks ago about Addison Russell. Um, when he was still kind of, you know, slumping a little bit. And he still hasn't been fully what you expect out of him. And if you look at his career numbers since he got called up um, to the major leagues and you look at Jason Hayward's numbers as a Cub, they're not that much different in terms of batting average, in terms of on-base percentage, um, and a lot of things that you look at. His, Russell's career numbers are not that far off from what Jason Hayward has given us over the course of the last couple of years, but yet you don't see a lot of people complaining about how bad Russell's been at the plate. And I think part of that's, you know, he's not getting paid this eons amounts of money. Um, Although, you know, recently uh, Russell's obviously had a little bit more criticism. Um, But I, I just found that as an interesting comparison that like people are so quick to jump on Jason Hayward right away. Yet Addison Russell hasn't been that much better in his career than Hayward has since he joined the Cubs. So put on your GM hat. Let's go all hypothetical here because I love to put you on the spot. So you get an offer from the Baltimore Orioles, and they want Hayward and they want Addison Russell for – 
oh gosh, I just lost his name. Manny Machado. From Manny Machado. Do you do you pull the trigger on that trade for a rental? <sighs> the I size be, says it all. <laughs> it's I don't think they should trade for Manny Machado. I'm okay with them signing him in the offseason. I think it would take a lot more than Addison Russell and Jason Hayward to get him because I don't think they'd want to take on all that contract on Hayward. I'd honestly, I would be okay with throwing Addison Russell in a potential trade, whether that be for Machado or anybody at the deadline. Um, I, I think that if he's kind of, I don't think the Cubs are giving up on him per se, but when you're looking at this, you know, offense in this roster right now, and you're saying they're not going to, someone's going to have to be traded. We've been saying that for, you know, the last couple of years now, eventually one of these position players is going to get moved. Um, I, I see that starting to lean a little more towards Russell. I don't think they're going to give up on it half that quickly because he hasn't even, you know, barely played a full year in the big leagues yet. Um, and obviously Schwarber's turned a corner this year. I see Addison Russell potentially as being that type of a guy that they would trade for. Um, I think part of it is, you know, some of his off-field, some of the stuff that's, you know, going on with his personal life um, might be bothering him a little bit too and having an effect on his game. Um, so I'd be okay with throwing Russell in a potential deal, but I don't know if I'd give up Hayward. There's too much potential there, and you're giving up so much on defense, um, especially when you have Schwarber, who's, you know, been a lot better in the outfield, and we've seen him throwing out some guys, and I think he leads the National League, they said, in defensive assists or something like that. Um, but you still have a little bit more of a question mark when you throw a half or Schwarber out there than when you have, you know, Hayward and Elmora out in the outfield. I think they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater if they sacrifice good defensive players. The onus is being put on the poor offensive production of players that play elite defense, like an Addison Russell, like a Jason Hayward, even Albert Almora, when he goes cold and you know he's going to go cold eventually. What about the other seven players in the lineup, the guys who aren't hitting? The Rizzo, KB, Hap, Schwarber, who are grossly underproducing at the plate. And they are not the elite defensive caliber players that the Haywards and the, and the Russells are. Even Baez is elite defensively, and he is atrocious at the plate for long spells. Even though he will take you know take home runs out on a regular basis, steal home, be the exciting player we all want to see. I'm wondering, is it worth? Is it fair? Is it fair to the defensive here to put the onus on them to bat and not put it on the onus of the? player who does offense and defensive well that they all seem to slump at the same time. I mean, I look at it as not every point. (laughs) No, no, I I totally see your point. And it's it's an excellent point. But from what I look at it as you're not going to have all nine guys or eight guys, if you don't count the pitcher in your roster that are going to hit and, and have defense. Um, It's just unrealistic. I'm sure you love the guys like Anthony Rizzo, who's, you know, the most consistent hitter in the game and gives you gold glove defense, but not everyone's going to be Anthony Rizzo. There's going to be some guys that you have in your lineup more for the power and, you know, hitting like a Kyle Schwarber. And then there's going to be other guys that you're going to have more there for the defense. And I think you kind of need that balance in order to create a championship caliber team. Um, You can't have it all um, as much as you may try to. That's why, if a guy like Hayward is not hitting 25 or 30 home runs, that's not a problem because you have Bryant, you have uh, Rizzo, you have Schwarber, you have Baez 
that are all likely going to hit over 30 home runs. You don't need every single guy in that offense to do that. If Hayward's a guy that's more gets you those situational at-bats, moves runners over, hits sacrifice flies, things like that, you'll sa- I would sacrifice the power for that if he's going to you know, be more of that situational hitting, um, which is what I think the Cubs absolutely need, and that's why it was great to see them yesterday win that game 2 nothing on a steal of home and a short sacrifice fly. Like They didn't need the clutch hitting, and that's what they need to start doing is finding ways to score runs without you know, trying to hit a three-run homer or without trying to you know, bang a double into the gap, you know, move a runner over, um, hit a ground ball that scores a run. I think that's what they're trying to work on, and that's why they brought in the new coaching staff to do that. Small ball wins championships. Uh, one last question here before you go. Bryce Harper, do we get him, and what do we give up? If we do. Well, I mean, Bryce Harper, they would sign in the off season, so we don't have to yeah. – you know, necessarily trade for anybody, I personally don't see it happening. Um, I know there's a big, you know, scream about it, you know, because of Bryant and Harper. Um, I, I just can't see the Cubs committing that much. If, if they're content with we want to sign, I think the Cubs would be much more willing to say, all right, you know, we're, they're going to re-sign Rizzo. I think he's got one more year left on a deal, and then he's got, like, two club options for 2020 and 2021. But you know they're going to sign him to an extension, and he's going to get paid more than what he's getting paid now because he totally deserves it. Um, so you know that's coming. Um, and if the Cubs are content of, okay, you know, Chris Bryant, he's a Scott Boris guy, we're going to have to cough up money if we want to keep him around after, you know, once he hits a free agent. I think they'd be more willing to spend all that money on Bryant than they would be on Harper, and I just can't see them spending the money on both of them. I mean, I know that, you know, the front office has said that they have the freedom to spend the money, and the Ricketts family is giving them, you know, the freedom, and they're likely going to go over the luxury tax next year very shortly a I lot just can't, of luxury tax. right but i just can't see them committing you know 300 plus million or more probably to both bryant and harper so i think it's you're gonna have to choose one or the other do you want which one do you want and i think the cubs would easily go the bryce harper route since he's the uh you know homegrown talent they drafted him um and he's been everything you've expected out of him so far um I think that's the route they end up going. But we'll see in the offseason, I guess. I always love these way-too-early questions. It is the always interesting Ryan Tadich from the Wrigley Report. It has been a pleasure. Good, sir. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, glad that we were able to do this. Yeah, we'll see you next weekend, brother. All right, bye-bye.